Welcome to this worship service at the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. We hope you will join us some Sunday morning here in Old Town, Alexandria. Again, welcome. As you might well imagine, people uh, were interested in that position from all over the country, and so we set about that heavy work of reading resumes from lots of different folks. Very early on, we caught a name of someone who was already in our midst. His name was John Molina Moore, and as you'll soon discover, he soon rose to the top of that list and indeed became our general presbyter. When we talk about our clergy and our officers serving with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, you see all of those gifts in John Molina Moore. His passion for the church, both in a congregation like this and the church at large, is contagious. And I hope you catch some of it today. As you can see from your bulletin, he was educated at Sterling College and did his divinity work at Princeton Theological Seminary, where he was awarded uh, uh, special awards in preaching and communication. He served various churches uh, around the denomination and most recently, uh, he has become another, uh, uh, not another, he's become a father for the second time, is what I'm trying to say. So he has a lovely wife, Amy, who is also an Episcopal priest. He has two small children, Arthur and Otis, and Otis is the one who was born shortly after he accepted the call to be our new general presbyter. So this man has a lot to do. <clears throat> so he needs energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, and he needs our patience and understanding as well. But John, it is a pleasure to welcome you to this pulpit. It's a pleasure to have you working and leading this presbytery, and we look forward to many wonderful years together in our shared ministry. I invite your attention now to the reading of uh, Psalm 32, and I think you'll find many entry points for your own lives. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
while I kept silence. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of the mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you to go the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Brothers and sisters, it is the first Sunday in Lent, and traditionally, we hear the story of Jesus' journey out into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and to pray. And this morning, we're going to hear that story from Matthew. So I invite those of you who know this story well as an opportunity to hear it with fresh ears this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Gracious and loving God, for your presence and your spirit moving in and through around us, we give you thanks. We ask this morning that the words from my mouth and the meditations from the hearts gathered here can be a beautiful reflection of your light and love to us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, um, as some of you who are on social media know, I do these videos going around. My camera just went off. All right, we do these videos going around. So you're going to see me kind of being sneakily, but we're going to do a selfie shot of everybody. I'm going to try to get you all up there. I can't guarantee. So all you got to do is wave, all right? The sound gets cut off. 
and there's little music background that happens. So, all right, do your best, wave, smile. We love being here. Let's get the people up top. Oh yeah, wonderful. If you're not on Facebook or or Instagram, they are also up on our website, so you can find them there. That's where that's where my mom goes. She doesn't go to Facebook to get those. So for those of you uncertain of what a general presbyter is or does, or even what a presbytery is, a presbytery is much like the diocese of a Episcopal denomination or a Catholic that's a regional governing body. Ours is pretty much the DMV, but we got a couple outliers pretty far out there, and there are 104 congregations. You all are one of them. And the role of a general presbyter, if we use the image of, of the diocese, is much like a bishop, except I don't have any actual power that I can wield on anybody. And the more devastating news, I don't have a cool hat or a ring or, you know, a special scepter for you to come and admire. It is a pleasure to be with you all this morning as our first Sunday that we step into this Lenten journey together of 40 days to symbolize what it means to take time out to examine what a new spiritual practice we might engage in and how we see God moving in our world and in our own lives. So many people in Lent will do things, not surprisingly, stop eating chocolate or stop drinking alcohol or intentionally not trying to curse more. Things that they can put on their lives in hopes that if I go through this struggle of taking something away, I might be able to see God in a new way. Not doing something different, but my lens, my way of seeing and interacting has then changed because my life has changed. So we connect that with Jesus's intentional journey of being in the wilderness to take time out to fast. The story starts right after his baptism. He, he, is, he has been marked as this son of God, this chosen Messiah to lead all people of all time and space to point them toward the healing opportunity to be a child of who God is. So he then says, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to be out and I'm going to use this time to fast before I start my ministry, which will eventually lead me to the faces of power and lead me to the cross. So we see this and read this story of Jesus being out in the wilderness. And it is very easy for us to say, well, I, I too can do that. I, I, I too can go out in, into the wild because it is, a, it is a place of retreat and renewal and recreation for me. I like the outdoors. I'm a, I'm a mountain biker and I like fishing and camping. So I've, I've gone on trips intentionally to be by myself. I spent four days one summer isolated in, in the woods with a, with a fishing pole and a, and a GPS and the best Gore-Tex and camping gear I could possibly find. I called that the wild and the wilderness. And I, all I brought was a, 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 a Bible. I was going to read through the book of the Gospel of Luke that time that I was out there. I'm in the wild. I'm much like Jesus. But Jesus is wild. The wilderness 2,000 years ago was not fun. There was no REI. Your, your, your phone didn't work. You didn't know where you were sometimes. And animals that did not make their way into the towns, into the cities, they lived out there in the wild. And certain people who knew how to manipulate and take advantage, they found themselves a good place to set up shop in the wild. The weather was hard. 
Food wasn't guaranteed. Water wasn't guaranteed. The wild for Jesus is not like ours. It is not our version of a, of a camping trip or a retreat in silence and solitude. The wild for Jesus was physically and emotionally dangerous. Didn't know where food was coming from. Didn't know where shelter could be found. It is dangerous because in the wild for Jesus, there are no rules. The wild animals, the things that live out there, they don't agree to the same things that good society and community or the cities are. There are no rules out in the wild. For those of you who are fellow hip-hop connoisseurs like myself, if you saw our sermon title this morning, hopefully it drew image for you of a song by Jay-Z and Kanye West called No Church in the Wild. And it's this beautiful musical journey to listen to the song No Church in the Wild. It starts off of an album they did together called Watch the Throne. It's the first song to kick off this album of these two greats coming together. And the way that the, the song unfolds, the, the music in the song sounds as if it's some large cat running through the savannah and its feet pounding on the ground over and over and over again. And these noises of wilderness and wild animals are woven in through the song. The chorus of the song goes like this. Human beings in a mob. What's a mob to a king? What's a king to a god? What's a god to a non-believer who doesn't believe in anything? Will he make it out alive? All right, all right. No church in the wild. No church in the wild. For these two artists and for many of us, church just isn't just the opportunity for salvation and wholeness and healing as a community, but church historically has offered what the wild hasn't, rules. These are the things that we agreed to as a community. These are the moral issues that we stand behind to think that this is the best way to be a human being. The church then offers that direction and vision to society. So if you are in the wild, you then have escaped. You have got out of the, 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 the bounds of what the church, the, the rule enforcers can offer. So these two artists see the church as having that role of offering direction, guidance, and rule. And when you are out in the wild and those things are now abandoned, what is left? Who is it then that makes the rules? Who is it that says what we are going to do as a community, as people who now live out in the wild? For those of us who have ventured into the wild, into the real wilderness, not just camping, real spiritual and emotional and physical wilderness, we know that it is wild. We know that it is unruly and ruthless because there are no rules. There are no guidelines. It's wild out there. It's dangerous out there. But like Jesus, we can do our best to prepare ourselves for what we might meet and what we might face when we go out into the wild. This story of Jesus is him intentionally having time to fast and to pray and to connect with God in a different way that he can back in the city. But he knows that it's wild. He knows that it's dangerous. So there are things that he is, he is going to encounter that he had not prepared for. Like the middle of this story. I've always thought for the longest time when I heard this growing up in church that, that the whole time Jesus was out there was this ongoing test that the, the devil was, was poking and prodding and just awaiting moments for Jesus to slip up. 
But that's not how the story is told to us. It is at the very end. It is after this entire journey that he's prepared himself the best he can for. Then at the end is where the adversarial evil force in the world comes in and tempts and tries to find a way for him back out of the wilderness after he has done his best to prepare to be there in the wild. See, we can prepare ourselves for wilderness experiences. We can, we can anticipate what might happen. As most of you are probably aware, black and brown families in America have to have a special talk with their children. It's a talk about preparing yourself for the wilderness. That the world that you will go out and face, it can sometimes be wild and dangerous where the rules that we agree upon in this house, the rules we agree upon in our community, they are not honored on streets out there in America. So as a child, I was given my, the best set of tools that my, my mother could put together on how I, as a young black man, would navigate my way through the world. She told me how to talk to police, how to present myself in public with the best face possible. It took every time that I went into a store to make sure I left with a bag and a receipt so that nobody could ever accuse me of stealing something. So fast forward to, to 2020 and I'm doing my best to be environmentally conscious and, and, and using these precious resources that we have left here. I want to make sure that I don't use a plastic bag, that I, that I make sure I bring my uh, reusable bag. But as you know, that's hard to remember sometimes. So when I do leave a Whole Foods holding a carton of milk in my hand with no bag and no receipt, I hear this monologue in the back of my head and my spidey senses go off and my hair stands on edge because I might find myself in the wild, even though I've done my best to prepare. And see, it wasn't just wild for me as a child growing up in America. It was wild for my mother raising young black children in America. When I was in high school, I went to a, a school that was closer to the inner city, and it was a school with known gang activity, but it had a magnet program my mother wanted me to, to participate in, so I had to get on a city bus and take the bus down there every day. So each day when I got done eating my breakfast and ready to walk out the door, my mother would hunt me down in the house, and she'd want to hug me, and she would say, God loves you, and so do I. And when I was 15, 16 years old, I just thought it was an annoying mother being overprotective. <laughs> not knowing that she too was part of this wilderness experience. It wasn't until as an adult she shared with you why she did that. Because she knew I was venturing out into the wilderness where the rules that we agreed upon weren't the same as the ones out there. And there might be, there might be a day when something happens to me. And that moment, that morning, she could say, I at least hugged my son. I told him I loved him, I told him his God loved him. I got to have his scent one last time on my nose in case that was my last one. See, when you have to venture into the wilderness, you have to set things like that to prepare yourself for what might happen in a place where there is no rules. No church in the wild. Nothing to set the agreed upon way that we are going to conduct ourselves out in the wild. But see, the church, the church now is positioned inside the wilderness. I'm going to do a quick 
survey of you all. All you got to do is raise a hand. There's no standing up altar call. None of that stuff happening today. So quick show of hands. How many of you found this particular church, Old Presbyterian Meeting House, as your home? The place that you said, I want to invest in here, and this is the community that I want to journey alongside with on this walk of faith. How many of you are here because you biologically had no other choice? You were, you were, you were born and raised in this church, genetically predisposed to being a member of Old Presbyterian Meeting House. <laughs> All right? Not, not many. Look around. Not, not many. All right, how many of you got here because the majority of people in the DMV, somebody, the State Department, or a name of a company that you can't say or where it is that you go and do, how many of you got here by one of those routes and now you found yourself in the DMV, you opened up a Yellow Pages, for those of you who are under like 35, there used to be this huge book that you would find information on, <laughs> just Google before Google. You went through one of those or you Googled Hey, Presbyterian Church near my house. And this was either the number one or the number third. You shopped around. How many of you did that? You were from Ohio, North Carolina, Georgia. I was Presbyterian. I came here. I'm going to be Presbyterian. All right. Also, not, not a lot. All right. And how many of you fall into category three, which is the everything else? They have a, they have a center aisle instead of only side aisles. Their pews aren't in the round. They actually have pews. There's a clock in the back. The organ's in the back and not the front. A long list. What's, what's the other catch-all category? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> historically, historically, when the church was able to create the rules for how society governed, and people looked to us as one offering, how are we going to hold ourselves together? Who is our moral accountability? It was the church. So we got to benefit off of people being raised in Oregon who were Presbyterian that moved to the DMV. We got to benefit off of people saying, I want my children to have a family, a, a, a church faith life, so I'm going to raise them in places like this. That is no longer the case of how we engage new people to be part of our church. So the way, we, the way we design ourselves, the way we grow ourselves, is now also in the wilderness, a place where there are no rules. The agreed-upon things of the past do not work as effectively as they once have, and soon will no longer be rules at all. So we, too, now as the church, find ourselves in the midst of wilderness. And when you are in the wild, when you find yourself in the wilderness, there are a few things that you can do. You can succumb to the environment around you. You can, you can give up. You can say, I cannot do it anymore. I'm going to let the wild beasts, the rainstorms, the famine, the drought, whatever it is that is happening in the wild, I am going to go ahead and just let that win. I will turn in the towel and say, you know what? The wild is too dangerous and too fearful for me. I am giving up. Jesus, like many of us, could have easily done that. It could have been day 15 and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm lost. This burden is too heavy for me to carry. I'm just going to go back and build houses. I'm going to go back to being a carpenter with my dad. This, 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 this calling maybe is not for me. But he powers through. He keeps his focus and his reminder of who it is that called him to do this work. Not who cast him out in the wilderness to try to see if he's worthy to test him, 
but to know that the work that he was going to do, even though it was inside a community where you think rules would be agreed upon, it would still be wild. People would still be after him. People would, at every corner, try to find reasons to stop what it is that he was doing. So if he could survive 40 days in the wilderness, the physical wilderness, he can sure do anything when he gets back home. Whatever wild might be thrown his way when he comes back to the work of his ministry. So church, old Presbyterian meeting house, any church in the PCUSA or in God's great kingdom here on, on earth, we now find ourselves much like Jesus out in the wild. So let us as a church, as a body, take full advantage of that opportunity to use it as a time to see where God might be exciting our hearts next. Because back in society, back in the city, back in the place that we thought was comfortable, things are now changing. It feels just as wild as it does out there in the wilderness. And we too, will be tempted. In this journey that we take as a church out in the wilderness, we will be tempted. Our biggest temptation will be to think that we are by ourselves. And that in this wilderness journey, in this re-examine of what we are and do as a church, that God is not there with us. And then we can succumb to the rules of the wild. Because right now in our society, the wild says, pick a side. Pick a division on a line. What, 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 what camp are you associated with? Okay, you are? All right, here's our enemy. The wild says, let your, let your fears run wild. Let, 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 your, let your, uh, your, 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 your fears and, and your insecurities, let that be the narrative of how you move through the world. That's what the wild is asking us to do right now. But while we are there, while we have set up camp in this place where the rules and the way forward aren't as clear as we thought they might have been, let us use that time to see where and who God is calling us to go and to be next. We'll face temptation. We'll face the opportunity for, for, for an easy way out of this journey. But know that if we do, Know that if we, this time in the wild is only spent for us to retreat back to do things the way we've always done them, our voice will be diminished. See, Jesus' testing, Jesus' time out in the wilderness was to ensure that he was able to do the work that God had put on his heart, that God was calling him to go back and do as he walked up and down the countryside of Galilee. Old Presbyterian Meeting House, use this Lenten time Use our experience in the wild together to pray, to refocus, maybe even fast, and listen to where God might be guiding and pointing us next. We're not in the wild to teach the wild how to be church. We're not in the wild to win people over to be part of what it is that we're doing. We now find ourselves in the wild with an opportunity to see God in a new way, to engage new people, to go back and be reminded of the original calling that God gave all of us, the disciples here gathered in this room, to go out and to grow God's church, to help the community around you see God in a new way. 
to shine and reflect God's light, God's love, not in the, in, in the world. Not for us to, to reflect what society is asking us, not for us to reflect the rules of the wilderness that say you're in this camp, you're out of this camp, but to be something intentionally very different. That is the learning piece we will pick up on our Lenten wilderness journey as the church. And when we come back, much like when Jesus did, know that it's not going to be easy work. People who you thought were on your side, people who you thought were, were there as your advocates, their tune will change. When we come back as one unified body saying, here is what we are going to be and how we are going to do it, and this is the calling that God has put on our lives. It won't be welcome back, but it will change and it will transform this world. Amen. been there know this is one of the most fun events that we do the youth put it on it's a wonderful fundraiser for all of their ministries opportunities to have scholarships to go to Montreat in the summer for the youth and to say more about that is our own where is he Brian Comey come on up hey good morning um, I apologize in advance but forgive me I'm gonna use my phone to read off typically when I speak in church I spend the whole uh, service memorizing my um, my little speech, but Reverend John just took me out of my pew this morning with the sermon, so I wasn't able to practice. So um, first time through this, here we go. I read it. Uh, I wrote it last night at like midnight, but uh, here we go. So I hope that by now you all know that today is the 175th annual world-renowned OPMH chili cook-off that draws talents from all over the region. Um, if you haven't already done so, I now give you permission to pull out your phones and cancel any and all plans you had uh, after church because you aren't going to want to miss this. I can guarantee you this is the best chili this side of the Potomac. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I actually wrote in my speech, hope, hopefully some laughter right here. But so, thank you, thank you. I'm just kidding. This, this isn't a paid advertisement for the chili cook-off. In all seriousness, I'm up here today to thank you all. Uh, just like so many other days, thanks in advance for making today so special for the youth group here at, at OPMH. My name is Brian Comey, and as many of you know, I was baptized and raised here in this church. The youth group truly was the most important thing to me growing up in this church because it allowed me to challenge and explore my faith with some of my closest friends. Um, and then this part I, I added to this service because I went to adult education with Reverend John and, and um, he inspired me even more. So as he alluded to during adult education um, before church, it wasn't the coloring books in third grade or the vacation Bible school that necessarily led him here today. Uh, and that spoke to me. It was spending the night for him at a homeless shelter in high school and then waking up the next morning um, next to some of the kids that went to his school. Uh, it was the mission trips, the out-of-church experiences, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, those are the things that allow you to get, in, get out in the world and put God's work into physical practice. However, I guess I never got the memo that youth group ends after high school because I just went on both ski retreats, <laughs> and I still get just as excited on Sunday evenings for games and fellowship as I did seven years ago. Uh, what really keeps me coming back now as a youth advisor, and I put that in air quotes because Mary really does all the work, 
And I just use it as an excuse to keep coming back and uh, exploring my faith. But what keeps me coming back is the hope that I can inspire the youth today the same way that you all mentored and inspired me when I was growing up as a youth in this church. It truly does take a village. And on days like today, when we see the congregation come together with excitement and passion during the chili cook-off, it is yet another testament to how incredible our church community is. So I stand here today to say thank you. Thank you for inspiring that seventh grade boy who at the Massanetta summer retreat was brave enough to speak up at one of our home group nightly devotionals. I actually still remember clearly to this day the exact spot I sat on the couch in the lobby at Massanetta where I cried my little heart out because I was so passionate about being there in that moment with my OPMH youth group. And then every summer after that, I grew and I grew in my faith at Massanetta and then Montreat as a high schooler. Uh, That seventh grade boy was too naive to realize that there was a village back home, making everything we do possible. So for all the times I didn't say it in middle school, thank you. And then again in high school, thank you. And now as a youth advisor, thank you. So I'm sure whoever made your bulletin today has done a much better job at explaining the details for today's chili cook-off than I ever could. But I will tell you that the youth and Mary and I uh, and everyone involved can't wait to see you there. So much so that a certain someone may have spent an hour on just one of the 99 donation envelopes you'll see hanging on the wall. Okay, that was me. But <laughs> that's just proof that all the passion I had for the youth group when I, was, when I was younger is even stronger now that I can stand on the outside looking in uh, and see how amazing these kids are. And since I'm still a youth at heart, I can't help but end with a joke for you guys. So how can you tell how heavy a red hot chili pepper is? Give it away, give it away, give it away now.